Are you a music school owner looking to scale your program from just a handful of teachers to a highly profitable, well-organized, and mission-driven company? Well, I'm Nate Shaw, co-founder of the Brooklyn Music Factory. And I'm Daniel Patterson, founder of Grow Your Music Studio. And we're here to help you discover a proven pathway to sustainable growth in your music school. So get ready to take your passion for music education and scale it to a seven-figure music school. Hey, welcome back to another episode. Uh, today, we have a guest on, Eric Branner of Fonz.com, a friend of the show, uh, a colleague, someone I've enjoyed talking to for years, and Nate has enjoyed talking to for years. And I got to tell you, before we started this episode, we were kicking around some ideas. I think this one's going to be action-packed. Um, and Eric, you said something really interesting right before we hit record. And and I thought to myself, wait, no, don't talk anymore about that. Let's, let's actually record this. Um, I'm really fascinated by something you just said there and your unique perspective. Um, I think you just have something to lend there. So maybe for those, for maybe the two people listening to this who don't know who you are, start by introducing yourself and then let's jump into what you were talking about there. Um, so yeah, take it away there for a second, Eric. Sure. Well, hey, thank you so much for having me. I'm stoked to be here. It's great to see you again. Uh, yeah, my name is Eric Branner. I'm the CEO and founder of Bonds.com and uh, previous to that, I'm a third-generation music teacher. I'm a classical guitar player. I've run a music school here in Seattle for a very long time. Uh, and yeah, so now I've kind of moved into, I still teach, but I also really, I'm very passionate and focused on the business aspects of running a teaching business or actually an appointment-based business in general, uh, focusing on culture and the arts and knowledge. And uh, my kind of reason to be for the last six years has really just kind of been really focusing on trying to help people earn better livings uh, through understanding business practices and uh, business basics and just believing in themselves and charging what they're worth has kind of been my mission. So uh, that's that's me. And uh, yeah, we were just we were just talking about whether or not we should make this episode topical into this moment right now because there's a lot of real there's a few high level things that have really I think shaken our community. Ooh, right, yes. whether whether it's in reality or whether it's just in their minds, um, hmm. which you know these ideas of inflation and uh, you know impending economic issues and you know coming on the tail end of a pandemic, you know people are really sensitive and they've been through a lot. And you know, frankly, I don't think we really had a chance to process what we went through the last couple of years because we were so busy surviving, right? Mm-hmm. And this is the reality of now that we knew this. Um, from a social and psychological perspective, it was things were going to get weird, right? They've been weird. We survived through it. We made the best of it. And uh, now it's, as it's shifting, people are, we're just seeing them, I'd say, maybe show signs of being unsettled or not really knowing what to do next and moving into a place kind of like a fear, right? Which I'm sure you're seeing that too, which is yeah. moving into that, oh my gosh, what's this thing could happen? And, you know, we're still laying in bed. We're comfortable. We're feeling all right. Things are happening. Our kids are cool, yeah. but we're really feeling like, oh, something bad might happen. Well, right? and this really seeps into the business world. So, yes. And, and I'm curious what your perspective is. You know, Nate and I recently did an episode on inflation and just how to respond to that. We didn't get necessarily deep into the psychological part, but we really it was more about a strategy for. Um, 
evaluating your school's costs and what's the sensible way to raise rates in light of this and should you or should you not? We kind of covered that angle of it, but you have visibility that we don't have. So I'm curious, is there something in, in specifically you've seen maybe in the community of funds or just what you've heard through the grapevine? I'm curious if there's something here that, that, um, that, that you've noticed that that's worth bringing up or talking about. You know, I, I think that's really like it's spread, right? Mm-hmm. Which is that because it really depends on your geography. It depends where you live, right? It, it depends and, you know, how those different markets are getting affected and what news you're seeing and what you're, you know, what you're going outside and seeing what your your neighbors, what's happening to them and, and who your community is. It also matters where you are in your business, right? Like, so people that are, you know, someone that's a very established music school and an urban center uh, catering to highly affluent clients, they're not going to be seeing the same worries or considerations. Absolutely. And it's, and so there's these different layers of insulation or non-insulation and the, the, you know, we're a sensitive set. We're a definite subset of society, right? As Mm. many of us are artists and we're small business owners, we get worried. We've, we've invested a lot. So I think what I, what I think is interesting is seeing how the different people are reacting. Right. And, and then at what the have different. you seen? Yeah. Well, you know, some people really go inward, right? You know, if you look, you know, the, the, I think the greatest example that I took note of was last week when Zoom announced they were going to get rid of their free plan for uh, uh, appointments over 40 minutes. Right. No, Zoom carried us all through the pandemic. Zoom, they, like, look at this. Like, we like, yeah. I used to have two studios in Seattle, right? I'm still teaching 15 students each week. Uh, I used to maintain two studios because I have my place in West Seattle and all my clients live on Capitol Hill. So I had a studio there. I have, I, my studio is a wreck. Like, what you're seeing right now, I would never bring a child into what you're seeing that's not here. And I don't, and this is my only studio. So, I thought it was so interesting that Zoom says, okay, yeah, we, you know, we're not going to do this thing anymore. And it's going to be like $9 a month to be able to have your studio online. And the Piano Teacher Central community just exploded. It was like a bomb went off with 90% of people were saying, what do we do? What's, is there anything free we can go to? Like, what can I do that's free? And then you have 5% of people like, what are you talking about? <laughs> what are you talking? Who are you? And, and I think that psychology is is not just nested in, in the inherent nature of us, many of us not really having a deep sense of spending money to, to run a great business and using what's best instead of what's cheapest, but also they're nervous, right? They're having mm. conversations being like, what subscriptions can we get rid of? What, you know, how can we get rid of a car payment? You know, they're starting to do that thing where they go inward. And that's not my really my style. Like by nature, I'm like, when things get squirrely, I kind of just tend to go a little bit bigger and be like, maybe I'm just going to crash and burn but I'm going to try to muscle my way through it. So uh, I, th- I thought that was a really telling moment about just kind of the, the prevailing attitudes of, of the scene. Eric, let me follow up on that for a second. Cause I, I so appreciate this perspective. You, you use words like unsettled fear-based, um, but you brought up a really important point, which is that uh, there's a wisdom that comes from experience of being in business for for a period of time to have actually, for example, Brooklyn Music Factory literally started in the crash of 2008, you know? Totally. So, so, so it, I remember in my early journal entries being like, well, dude, if you can start something in this, 
you'll be just fine, <laughs> you know? And then you wake up three, four years later, and you're like, huh, wow, we're still doing it. Um, so you brought up this idea of like the lessons learned, like that wisdom of experience leads to lessons learned. And I define that as, you know, something that maybe did create sensitivity or fear in you, or as you put it, something that used to drive me inward that I now understand the steps necessary to move through. Yes. Right? So, so, so oftentimes we're like, I had an insight, like I just had a realization. And you're like, actually, dude, you didn't have a realization. You just had a brainstorm. But until you actually move through that realization, test it out, fail a few times, then succeed, then maybe it becomes a realization, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I want to, I want to, I want to dig in on this, what you've perceived, because I love your perspective, Eric, as both, you know, you're, you have a music studio, you've had a music, a teaching studio for forever, right? But you're also so, just so immersed in the startup culture of, of fonts, you know, and that must have uh, expanded your perspective massively, right? Plus, mm -hmm. you're so good with outreach to all of your community, whether they're using fonts or not, you're still just in there, like to use your language, just helping people get charged what they're worth. I mean, what an awesome, by the way, dude, what an awesome mission. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. So, you know, yeah. yeah. Well, well I, I love what you said. I just want to start because you said 2008, and that is so important. Because there are so many people saying, this is nothing like this has ever happened before. And I was like, do you remember 2008? Because that was really an intense moment. And I'm sure this has all been an intense moment. The last two years have been majorly intense moments that have, but like, we have been through this before. And so I, I love that you mentioned that. But uh, I also just want to tag a quick thing on is that I, I, I do get to, to speak with a lot of other startup founders. Mm -hmm. And uh, people that are at varying stages of their companies, because there's you know, that community is really important to me too, because there's a lot of wisdom around mm -hmm. these people who are in business. And that is what they do is they build companies. And everyone that I'm talking to is they, they said, yeah, this is wild. And yes, we're creating a strategy around it because there's just as much opportunity if you think. Right. And so like, it doesn't matter if you're running a music school or whatever, you can be really scared and be like, oh my gosh, this or that. Zoom's going to be $9 a month. Or you can say, how can I really leverage what's coming next? How can I say, what are pe people are going to be generally stressed? Maybe it's a good time to play music. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe it's a good time to switch your messaging to how amazingly cathartic music is on going through troubled times. Like mm -hmm. sure worked in the depression and, you know, these and throughout every major event in human history, there's quite a few good albums that came out then. <laughs> uh, so, you know, it's, 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 I think it, it is perspective. And I think you all are, have a good idea of it. Mm. So is there something that you've seen about, um, so I, I, I loved the, the, the insight you had on kind of that collective freak out over Zoom. Um, I'm wondering if there's anything you've seen in the community around schools that are midsize or larger. What are, are there any prevailing trends you've seen there? The, the schools that we support and that we know well have been having incredible years. They made it, they all, these are all people that were resilient through the pandemic because they were fast to respond. 
the, the thing that we learn about midsize and larger schools, schools that you know have upwards of 100 to 500 students uh, with multiple locations is that they have business people there. Somebody got them up and running and they're thinking differently. It's, it's one of the, I, we joke about this at Fonz, is that like a, a large school, right? Because we're really committed to everybody from a piano teacher in the middle of the country to a, you know, a really large firm that has five locations you know, outside of New York City. Um, is the reality is those large firms, they, they, they're built for this. They've got somebody up top that got them there that's exactly. allowing them to think through these things and they're able to be flexible and say, oh, we have to offer this thing because our community is in crisis. So we need to bring them in because whether if they can't afford it right now because they're out of work or because they're just traumatized from what they just went through, they're going to offer services and build operations around it that are meaningful and work, right? Where often a single person in Kansas is going to be slower to respond because they don't really, they just get it and see it and they don't have that those layers of support and structure and acumen around them to help guide them into what to do. So they can tend to go inward. I don't know about you, but I didn't get an owner's manual when I started my music school. And I wasted a lot of time on trial and error and making things up as I went along. But you don't have to do that. Nate and I are building a library of resources and tools exclusively for fans of this podcast. Go to growyourmusicstudio.com slash 7FMS and sign up to receive podcast updates, free resources, and even submit questions for us to answer on the podcast. That's growyourmusicstudio.com slash 7FMS. And we look forward to answering your questions. You know, this episode is going to come out at the end of our first season of this show. And it's going to come out midsummer. And I think this is such a positive, I think this is a positive, ultimately positive message to be put out there because arguably, at least from my experience, the easiest time of the year to enroll kids into music is in the fall. It's not to say that it's bad at other times of the year. In general, if you're even halfway decent at marketing, like I was a decade ago, you could see enrollments every month of the year, you know, not, not really have a problem with that. But you're literally giving people a choice of how they're going to enter into this fall season. Uh, coming up here in a month or two when kids are going back to school, you can either stay plugged into the news, check Twitter every two minutes, um, be really plugged into social media and start freaking out or unplug, touch grass, keep a fundamentally positive perspective on this and realize that it's actually possible and uh, to, to have an amazing upcoming school year uh, in terms of enrollment, in terms of success with your students. And that uh, at the end of the day, um, the, thing that, the thing that's probably most crucial to which way things go over this coming year is the way that you approach each, situa- each situation that is, that is uh, presented to you. Mm. You know that that's an amazing thing to say, uh, and and so here here's here are two thoughts on that from mm. if I could because you oh, you just please. made a great point is that one is there is no question have you ever heard anyone say that we're just too cultured here in this country right <laughs> that like as a people you know we're just too cultured we there's too many music teachers and too much art right mm. that is 
we know the, the growth curve for the number of people who should be studying music and can be studying music in the next 10 years is staggering. And it's you know, independent music or uh, excuse me, academic tutors. It's the same thing. These growth curves are huge. Uh, and because there are people that can afford it and there are people that value it. And there is a shortage of people that are delivering awesome service to their communities, right? So there is, there's not competition. There are plenty of students. There are many ways you can do it. I love that you said, yes, fall enrollment, right? And because this is the other second biggest thing aside in the last week on you know the um, Facebook music teachers things is here comes summer. Johnny's, I've had seven people say they're not taking lessons in summer. What do you do? Mm. And you know that is something that like when I was supporting my family teaching guitar, it's like summer was the time of year we are most excited about. And I made a ton of money in the summer, right? I ran, I worked half as much. I ran camps during the day with like eight or I do two camps of eight or 10 kids and have high school kids support me. I do my sleepaway camp, Camp Branner for a week where I take all my high school kids up into the mountains. I did my guitar barbecue. Summer was marketing. Summer was community building. I had way more engagement in the summer. And sure, I have affluent kids that I teach. They're on vacation too. But they're not, you know, they come back. It, it, it allowed me to bring new people into my space. So I'm, I always push back on the whole idea of like summer being such a hard time because that most parents work. So if you're in a community where there's a lot of working parents, offer something for their kids to go do in the summer during the yeah. week. Yeah, You know, there's a basketball coach that my, my kid goes to who's 10. He has a hundred kids sign up that go to his gym and he's got a bunch of high school kids that help him from eight to three, Monday through Friday. He's booked solid all summer and having a blast doing it. You know, so this is what, this is what prompted me at the age of 23, 22 or 23 to co-invent the summer camp that me and my best friend ran because we didn't want to make less money during the summer. And And it's fun. uh, Yeah. And uh, the first summer we had seven kids. It wasn't super great. It was a ton of work for very little reward financially. But by our fifth summer, we'd enrolled 200 kids and they were like brand new. And so those kids kind of, the majority of them went into fall lessons. We built a whole school around where we barely had to advertise during the school year because we got all of our enrollments during the summer. So your summer becomes your funnel. Yep. Right. And it's so what what a shift from like what what the prevailing idea is. It's like, oh, and, and and to be fair, teachers are also probably maybe burned out at the end of the year. Like maybe they've been through the year. Maybe a lot of people are teaching school and they have their school, whatever. They could just be out of energy and need a break. And they sure. don't really. And so I get that because that's another piece to it is like the years are hard. But, yeah, but, but what I'll say is that if the, if the, the fundamental viewpoint you're carrying around disallows you from seeing opportunity. No wonder why that year felt hard. I, I can't let people off the hook. The number one thing that in the various trainings or the coachings we do, the number one thing that I see that changes people's results is not the content I teach them. It's that I help them transform their outlook on what is possible and what they can do. I help people believe in themselves. That by far is what causes the change. Not because I taught them some things about Google ads, though that is helpful. Um, it, it, it's that outlook change. And, and I'll say that even my own personal experience is, is one that, um, that as I began to remove limitations from my own mind, 
uh, you know, my results change as well. Nate, it sounded like you had something you wanted to well, say. Well, I want to link that to what you said earlier, Eric, when you were talking about the startup community that's so valuable to you because you're picking up wisdom and you use this quote that I love that, that these people were just built for this. They're built to think strategically and mm-hmm. to think beyond the immediate future. So what I hear you guys going back and forth on is this idea, well, well now's the time to think about the fall and not only think about the fall, but imagine a fall that's more uh, robust than you ever thought possible, right? So I'm curious for you, Eric, some of the, what, you know, Daniel and I talk about this all the time because we always want listeners to step away and be like, okay, here's something I can do right now this week. Mm-hmm. And I'm always nervous when we say, when we use um, like 30,000 foot view phrases where like, you only get this after going through a recession, you know, or something like that. And then I'm like, wait, people are going to listen. They won't walk away with something to action on. Is there something, are there some like two or three unique traits that you're seeing in your community of other uh, founders that just makes them think differently in terms of like think more strategically? Is there anything that we could start practicing right now to, to, to move towards what you guys are talking about? You know, that's a, that's a great question. And I, you know what? And I think that there are, but I think I'd rather frame it in a way because, you know, as a business person, you can become really lame too. Yeah. Right? And, <laughs> and, and I think that that's something that makes musicians awesome is by nature, they're not lame. And, and so I, and also, and, and frankly, like to be really great at SEO is an art form. And the people that do that really well are brilliant. To be really great at Google ads is an art form. But if you're not an authentic, caring human being, it doesn't matter, right? And so if you're trying to actually be happy as a business owner, I would say, and I, I just, I, I, I've been going around talking to different MTNA groups about this. And this is kind of my, my thing is that, you know, first of all, you have to do great work, right? And so if you want to be strategic, A, is, start, is make sure your work is great. You know, I mean, put yourself together and like, and believe in yourself. Like Daniel was saying, do great work. Because if you're not, like go work for somebody else because this is going to be hard. But two is you build a community. And, 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 and I think the most important thing strategically is to stop worrying so much about yourself and invest in the well-being of the people you serve. And so if you create your decisions on, hey, you know, look at your parents of your students. What are they worried about? You know, does they, are they, what are they stressed out about? What are they excited about? If you create your offerings around stuff that's just truly in the nature of service, that is selfish because selfishly doing for others and thinking less about ourselves is the way to be happy. Yes. It is not, you're not doing it for, you're doing it for yourself. And so if you can come from a place of service and do really great work and return to that meaningfully, you'll be authentic. People will then buy your stuff and make a way to be with you. I was just saying that it's like, do something people want to show up to. How about mm-hmm. that for a strategy? Like, don't be like toxic and, and be totally inclusive and be loving and give 100% of your person into it. And that strategy that the people that anybody can, can, can learn that, right? Yeah. But, you know, and, and it's very difficult for some people that are like driven by, that have investors looming over them or, you know, in the startup world or, you know, music teachers, it's really hard for them to think about a PL and a balance sheet. They're not going to worry about that. 
Right. They just, you know, that that's not going to be in their in their in their scope until you get to a bigger school. So, yeah, I I really think those are the areas that you can remember, um, and the things you can be grateful for. You know, mm. in in the work we do get to do. I mean, I'd love to get nerdier too if you want to talk about like <laughs> actual strategies to building out the, these flywheels and stuff. But I think if you don't start from a place of you know, respecting yourself, like Daniel said, believing what you can do, uh, coming from a place of service, really focusing on building out a community and valuing yourself. You're never going to have the guts to just like charge an appropriate rate for your school right? Yeah. and let people pay you. I just want to highlight one short thing and then I want to kick it over to you, Nate. Uh, you're saying something there that I've really been stressing this year with the people I'm working with. Um, and it comes back to, I think my favorite quote of 2022, I think I've said at least three times over the last 10 episodes. Um, it's a quote from Naval Ravikant, who's kind of a legendary investor. Uh, you're doing sales because you failed at marketing and you're doing marketing because you failed at product. And it's weird to think about our service as a product. I think naturally as music teachers, we probably, uh, probably puts the hairs up on the back of our neck a little bit. But at the end of the day, it, you are providing a service. And how you started and ended that, Eric, it, it goes exactly to that thought. And, and this is what I've really been contemplating this year in, um, as, the, as the environment has changed, as, uh, as more people become aware of, I mean, aware, as more schools do digital marketing and therefore the competition increases, what are we doing then actually to, to bring in new enrollments. And it's coming down to what's the service you provide? How are you standing out? How are you getting attention? Um, are you providing music lessons? Or are you providing a greater experience? We spent the last 30 episodes of this show kind of exploring in different ways, even how BMF's vision um, and unique approach to music education is really the, uh, the, the leverage point upon which Nate and Pira built Brooklyn Music Factory to the size it was. It wasn't just, oh, did we run some cool marketing campaigns? Um, so that one, two punch of product and culture, uh, totally resonates with us here as well. Uh, so Nate thoughts want to move yeah. on. So Eric, well, I asked you the question and, and so I said that you were like the three attributes, I asked the three <laughs> traits and you were like, I want to reframe it, but I actually came up with three based on your answer. And I'm going to start with the guitar barbecue because that's the most <laughs> badass brainstorm creativity, um, uh, product offering. You, you said, I have a guitar barbecue this summer. I was like, what? And it gets back to like, <laughs> it, it gets back to your comment of like, you have to remain authentic. And in fact, we have the good fortune of growing up as artists where like creativity, frankly, was probably one of our, one of our most valuable assets that we were just continuing to nurture. Hopefully it gets more difficult as adults. We can all face that, you know, we have to really work on that. But I, I put number one is remain in service to others. That's a clear and straightforward question you can ask yourself every day when you show up to the job site, right? Number two, I put, you said, just be really proud of your work. And for me, it's always a gut check. Always be, you know, down to every single lesson when I'm filling out my lesson report for my student, I'm doing an assessment a self-assessment. I'm like, how proud am I of those 45 minutes? Right? It's kind of like, just, mm. just really do the work of improving, as you say, Daniel, on the product. And know that um, 
you know, in my case, uh, I've been teaching for 33 years now. Like, I can very clearly tell you that as a 25-year-old, the lesson you would have got from me, Eric, was a D minus compared <laughs> to the lesson you're getting now from me. Because that's 30, that's like, you know, 25 years of self-assessment and trying to get a little bit better and a little more refined in the offering, you know? Mm-hmm. And then the final point I put was just like, just really stay true and authentic to your specific version of whatever it is you're doing, right? I think this is one of the things that we hear often, Daniel and I do, where it's like um, school owners are looking for the blueprint. They're like, well, can you just tell us what the necessary steps were, right? And I'm like, and we just keep coming back. You're like, the very first most important step is that arduous process of mission and purpose and getting very clear on your values and how they translate into that 45 minute piano lesson. And, you know, dude, you opened with this idea, helping people charge what they're worth. Like, I'm sure if you and I were hanging out for hours talking about how you arrived at that, that was a process for you over years and years of years of getting to the point where you're like, actually, I've simmered it down to this for me. I wake up in the morning, I stay in service to others, and you know how I do it? I've created this thing that challenges them to charge what they're worth. Right. And I, I just, you can't overstate the importance of the patience, right, Eric, that you had to practice to arrive at today. Right. So yeah. when I hear, you know, I mean, I wonder if you have any comments on that before. And I would like to get really nerdy and wonky on some of the uh, business. Uh, operations and marketing, but I loved for you to hear uh, just any thoughts you have on the patience necessary for us as founders. Why, why I love what you said about um, you know the patience, and I love what you said that people want a blueprint, right? Mm-hmm. And and we are the reality is this life is a long trip, and really, and and it's, I, I don't know if you all noticed this, but everybody's doing and. and in the creative community, most of them do a very similar thing if possible. They're following blueprints. Mm-hmm. And it's like you said, but you're creative. Like, why not try to be creative? And, and I know that you don't always want to reinvent the wheel because that's exhausting. Right. Reinventing the wheel is exhausting. So trusted wisdom is amazing. Um, and borrowing from what other people are doing is amazing. But, you know, I, I look out over like social media and I see a whole lot of people doing the exact same thing. And there's not a differentiator when there is a differentiator. Like there's three of us here. If we had three schools on three different street corners across like McDonald's, Wendy, you know, whatever, we are very different leaders as people. We probably want to come together and just hang out all the time, but there is something different. And then what you do from what I do, from what Dan does, that, that, that if you're willing to be authentic, that will bleed into your business model. If you're brave enough to be creative with it. Right. And I think that's, that's like what you're saying is that, yeah, you can do all this marketing, but you've got to, you've got to have something that makes you stand out, that differentiates you or, or people go to um, school of rock. Yeah. You know, and they, and and they don't, or whatever, they'll go to some program like that and they'll go to a franchise and they'll do their deal, which cool. There's a lot of people that enjoy that, but you shouldn't be losing students to that. No. Right. I, I, I'm always, um, I'm always really, 
interested to where people tend to go. And I, I, and I like to refer because I can't take as many students for the number of referrals I get right now. And I like to divvy them out. But I'm always interested where people have been and like how they how they've gone on their journey. And I think that if, if we ask them when they what brought them to our school, they've usually they've often been somewhere else before, right? And maybe there was a reason that they moved on. So that's great great points you're making. Hey, it's Nate again. You know, every year at Brooklyn Music Factory, we get dozens and dozens of great reviews from our families. And you want to know how? Because we ask them. And they're happy to leave a review because of the positive impact that we've made on them. And so now I have a simple ask for you. If this podcast, the 7FMS podcast, was helpful to you, would you mind leaving a review for Daniel and I? And please... Share the podcast with another music school owner that you think might benefit. It's one of the best ways that you can support us. We appreciate it.